For over 5,000 years of documented history, people have been using the cannabis plant as medicine. From ancient Chinese medical journals to the modern-day dispensaries, cannabis and its many medical uses have found their way to every continent on Earth. Today, as the prohibition against this plant is slowly being lifted around the world and our technological capacity grows exponentially, we finally have the opportunity to discover what this plant is truly capable of. Please join me, Matthew Myro, as I speak with the remarkable innovators working at the cutting edge of these discoveries. This is the Edge of Cannabis Medicine. This episode is brought to you by MJ.com and their brand new medical platform that they're rolling out in the San Francisco Bay Area. Have you visited MJ.com? MJ.com is the most trusted information source for all things cannabis. Whether you're a medical marijuana patient looking to find the right doctor or a consumer looking for exclusive savings at your favorite dispensary, MJ.com can bring you your favorite products right to your front door. Or maybe you're just a lover of the cannabis culture looking for the best original articles, interviews, podcasts, and educational information. MJ.com is the number one place to find everything you need. Visit MJ.com today. Hello, beautiful people. Thank you so much for joining me in this episode of the Edge of Cannabis Medicine podcast. You're here because you know that week after week, I'm bringing you leading experts in the medical cannabis field, everyone from clinicians and researchers to growers and scientists. I want you, the listener, to have the best possible experience and the best possible wisdom and knowledge from these experts. And I will continue to do that week after week. So if you haven't already, please just take a moment and go to wherever it is that you're listening to this podcast, Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, whatever it might be, and leave a review. Let me know how I'm doing. Please click the stars to tell me exactly how much value you're getting out of this show so I can know and I can improve and keep bringing you better and better content week after week. And this week, I'm bringing you Dr. Jessica Kruger. Dr. Kruger is a professor at the University of Buffalo in the public health sphere, and she recently released a very interesting study around harm reduction in cannabis. Now, mind you, not that cannabis causes harm, but how to use cannabis enacting the least amount of harm onto yourself. It's a very important distinction that we dive deep into. It's a fun episode. We laugh a lot. And please enjoy this episode with Dr. Jessica Kruger. I am Matthew Myro, and this is the Edge of Cannabis Medicine podcast. And today we're joined by Dr. Jessica Kruger. Dr. Kruger is a clinical assistant professor in the Department of Community Health and Health Behavior in the School of Public Health and Health Professions at the University at Buffalo. She is an educator whose research focuses on consumption, addictive behaviors, and health behavior decision-making. Dr. Kruger is also co-editor of the Journal of Student-Run Clinics and is a proponent of the importance of public health within free medical clinics. Dr. Kruger, welcome to the show. Happy to be here. Great. Well, let's just dive right in. And you came on my radio, radar because of this public health issue around cannabis and having access to knowledge and harm reduction. And I was hoping you could just dive into how you did this study and what some of your results were. 
Sure. I think it's important to start off with, you know, what is harm reduction and where it's begun. And traditionally, harm reduction has really focused in the areas of opioid use, alcohol, and tobacco use. But I think this idea really translates well to cannabis and cannabis use. Um, Harm reduction overall is really focusing on meeting a person where they are. And it it doesn't have the premise of someone quitting use, but really focusing on how to reduce harms and have them use whatever substance they choose in a healthier manner. And so our study is really focusing on how can we look at cannabis use and cannabis users' knowledge of harm reduction strategies. Right. So what did you find? What was the knowledge like around harm reduction and cannabis use? Well, sadly, we wish it was higher, but in fact, many of our participants found that they were not using some of these evidence-based practices around harm reduction, and in fact, choosing non-evidence-based practices at an equal rate. And so this really shows there's a gap in knowledge about safer ways to use cannabis. Yeah, absolutely. And now, are there any programs out there that you know of? I saw that there was a couple in Colorado that you pointed to. Um, the, what's the, the good to know and responsibility grows here. Are those some of the best in the country? Or what are you seeing out there? So sadly, this is really an overlooked topic when it comes to cannabis users and knowledge. I really view cannabis users as a priority population, right? Focusing on helping increase the knowledge as access continues to increase. And so some of these campaigns that we mentioned um, in Colorado and other places that are beginning to kind of uh, grow are really showing the need for this evidence-based education. Instead of the traditional abstinence-based approach that we tend to take of don't use it, we need to really show users how to use it safer and really talk about some of these issues. Because think about it, you're not getting uh, this knowledge taught in schools often. Uh, You're getting it from someone else who you are either using cannabis with or from popular media. So let's get that message out there. Yeah. And do you see it going into schools? I would love to see it go into schools, uh, but that's me as an educator talking. I actually used to teach a course at the University of Toledo that was called Substance Use and Abuse. And we talked about the good, the bad, and the ugly of a variety of substances. Currently, um, myself and some collaborators are working on uh, various projects assessing the curriculum around cannabis and uh, medicinal cannabis in schools of pharmacy and public health. And so I look forward to seeing how that shifts and changes over time so that we do have health professionals who are knowledgeable uh, and are able to talk more about some of these evidence-based practices. Yeah, for sure. And because the situation right now is so, so far behind what the public is doing. And with 34 states at this point and districts, if you will, having some kind of medical books, medical laws in the books or recreational laws. So it's obvious that people are doing it. It's obvious that the people want to be able to use this medicine and there's there's hardly anything, even for physicians, there's hardly education around this topic. And so 
I'm curious to learn a little bit more about what this might be that you're doing with some of your colleagues to promote these educational services. Yeah, so our studies are really just assessing what's happening in these curriculums right now. And that's very much in the early stages. Uh, Previous studies uh, around pharmacy schools have shown that as legalization began to occur in many states, uh, that you did start seeing more courses on cannabis and medicinal use of cannabis within the curriculum. Now, it's not ubiquitous, and nor is it required by any of these um, basically accreditation bodies. But I hope in the future that people really realize how this green wave is coming upon us and how we can really train the next group of healthcare professionals on this topic, right? I would love if we could go to our physician and be able to competently disclose if someone's using and have the physician, instead of giving a look of stigma or whatever else they're feeling because maybe they're not so knowledgeable, instead really give medical advice that's practical, useful, and correct. Yes, definitely, definitely. And I think a big part of it is that we weren't even aware of the endocannabinoid system until the 90s, and it's not being taught in medical schools. It's a very critical part of our human functioning, and it, it, a lot of physicians don't even regard it as something important or know about it, for that matter. And I think that if the physicians were better educated of our own endogenous cannabinoid system, and also with the work that you're doing with harm reduction, it's like, let's, let's teach them what these substances are, how they interact with our body, and what's the best way for their patients to be able to consume them. I think you bring up some really good points, right? This is something that is part of our biological systems. And, you know, uh, on the other side, the medical curriculum is packed and so are all these other health professional schools. So where they kind of fit that in is important and really making a meaningful effort to teach students uh, and making it part across the curriculum, right? This could fit into many modules within uh, the educational years as someone's going to be a pharmacist, a a physician, a nurse, right? Um, My world is public health. And the, the really important part about that is really meeting people where they are and understanding where they are. And, and that's really uh, what we try to do in our studies and is understand uh, the perceptions and knowledge associated uh, with cannabis use. Yeah, I imagine there must be a lot of training around non-judgment and, and can't come with any kind of preconceived notions about who this person might be that's walking into the clinic and things like that. Exactly. And I think that also needs to be incorporated more as we're training health professionals, because we really need to honor what people are doing and understand why they may be using it, right? And even asking, the way you ask a question is important. And some of this has shifted over time. So instead of saying, do you use any illegal drugs, right? No one wants to admit that they're breaking the law, Instead, asking it in a more meaningful and purposeful way of, are you using any substances for pain or, or et cetera? And, and that's when I think you'll start seeing people actually 
admit use to their physicians. Whereas now, I think many people are fearful, even if they're using CBD, which legal, available, accessible, right? I think a lot of people aren't disclosing this. Um, and we found that in one of our previous studies, disclosing the use of cannabis to your physician. And it's at a strikingly low rate. Um, and I think that's just from that, that stigma and that association that has been built up over time and over many years, sadly. Yeah. And as you were talking about abstinence being a totally unrealistic way to move forward, it got me thinking about sex ed programs in you know, middle school, even. It's like, when are we going to be able to release this taboo and this stigma to the point where, okay... You know, a lot of kids around 12 to 14 years old is about when they first get exposed to cannabis. And it's obviously, it's probably going to be recreational. But let's not look at this foolishly. Let's think about this like we do with sexual education. It's like, no, we don't suggest you go out and get high with your friends. But if it's what you're going to do, we probably need some harm reduction techniques and, and philosophies to be able to give these kids. Exactly. And, you know, sadly, we haven't moved as the dial as much as we wish we even have in sex ed, right? There are still states that don't have to provide accurate information, which is totally bonkers in my mind. So, you know, as we're moving forward with these harm reduction strategies and even teaching youth about this, I think we need to do it in a very purposeful way. And that needs to be a curriculum that's evidence-based, that's non-judgmental, and that's based in the facts that we know, but is also updated as we learn more facts, uh, right? We're continually learning more and more about cannabis and its uses. So it can't be a stagnant curriculum. Yeah, definitely. It continues to blow my mind. I I feel like I'm in a brand new industry that I've been in for the last 15 years and it's, it's growing, it's changing. And I f think that a lot of the prohibition didn't allow for so much research. And now that we're opening these things up a little bit, we get to learn so much more and so much more. And, and to your point, we have to update everything at least at the bare minimum every year, if not every six months, because that's how fast things are coming to light. Um, so just to change gears a little bit, I, I noticed that this survey that you were doing for this most recent study was at Hashbash at uh, in the University of Michigan. So I went to Ohio State and we always had this, you know, big rivalry with Michigan, but they always had the Hashbash going on. And this was even in the 90s. And before anything was legal at all. And I was really surprised that they were able to get away with it. But now that Michigan is a state where it's both accepted recreationally and medically, how are th what's that event like? And what are some of the other surveys that you've chosen to take among the, the participants there? Hashbash is an amazing event to be part of. And it's really not only uh, fun from a participant, but from a researcher's point of view. Um, I had gone to Hashbash before I started conducting research there and actually got to meet John Sinclair, uh, which was an exciting uh, opportunity. Uh, but really, our, our um, time of researching Hashbash participants really started from a previous line of research that I was working on, looking at the drunchies or the drunk munchies. And uh, 
this research uh, was important because we want to understand the obesogenic effects of alcohol and food consumption. And I was talking to my collaborator about this, and offhandedly, I made this mar- remark about, oh, next we should study the munchies. Well, so we did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that was our first um, way to actually study the munchies was we knew about this event and we knew that we would have an audience of cannabis enthusiasts or, or cannabis, um, at least people who who we, we thought would might be interested in taking a, a survey like this. And we went to our hash bash with some surveys. We, of course, contacted um, the organizers to make sure it was okay. We followed uh, protocol through the University of Michigan to make sure that our, our research was approved by the Institutional Review Board. We show up with clipboards and surveys and our incentive was actually part of our subject matter. So we handed out chips or a bag of um, a bag of chips or mandarin orange for someone to participate and surveyed them, uh, participants on their dietary habits while using and also when not using. And we actually found that people who have a healthier diet tend to choose a healthier choice, um, but we also found that people who were under the influence tended to uh, choose chips versus a mandarin <laughs> orange, uh, which kind of shows that uh, the munchies are, are happening here and, and people tend to uh, choose. You're not um, going out and trying to hunt down a salad while uh, ha- you know using. So it's um, that was our first kind of... Uh, time of trying to survey uh, participants at Hashbash. And I'll tell you, people were very excited to participate. (laughs) We actually had to go buy more clipboards because so many people wanted to participate. People are trying to buy our chips and mandarin oranges. And we're like, no, we just want you to take our survey. (laughs) And so that started a whole line of research where every year we've gone with a slightly different research question, uh, focusing on knowledge, attitudes, behaviors. And that really brought us to the study looking at harm reduction. Uh, And so it's been a really fantastic event to be part of. Um, My collaborator, who's also my husband, uh, actually was a speaker at Hashbash and presented uh, some of our information. And we actually take our data and we present it to the student organization that puts on Hashbash. And so we try to give back and really try to give a voice to cannabis users and cannabis enthusiasts so that we can continue to increase that knowledge around um, use and safe use. Yeah. And can you give me some examples of what are some of these harm reduction techniques? Yeah. So some of them seem uh, pretty straightforward, right? And and I'm also going to preface this with this is from the knowledge that we have now uh, because this is always evolving. Uh, So we actually took these harm reduction strategies from a paper published in the American Journal of Public Health uh, from Fisher et al. in 2017. And so these are the strategies that have been supported by evidence. Um, They include avoiding use while pregnant, avoiding mixing with tobacco, vaping rather than smoking, avoiding driving within six hours of using, and using strains with high CBD to THC ratios. 
do they qualify percentages and ratios within that or just that blanket statement? You know, this is an area that I think is very emerging, right, of these ratios and even uh, knowing this, uh, what what constitutes that, uh, because you'll see some states measure um, CBD and THC ratios differently as, as a standard dose. So I think this is an area that's emerging. And, and actually, as this press release went out for this paper, I had a... a someone reach out to me and say, hey, we have new ways to assess um, looking at if people are impaired and maybe six hours isn't right. So this is, a, uh, this is exciting that these are changing and we're getting new information to support it. But this is what we had with, uh, with, as we were conducting this study. Um, so that's my word of word of caution or word of warning as this continues to emerge. Yeah, and I was actually reading a Psychology Today article very recently. Is that today or yesterday? Very recently. And discussing 24 hours after a 10 to 20 milligram THC dose of, of smoking a joint. And they were testing uh, airline pilots around when they tested them uh, completely sober and all their hand-eye coordination and able to think on the move and things like that. They smoked the joint, then 24 hours later tested them again. What they found was that the CB1 receptors that take in the THC in the brain were all down-regulating and they were far significantly slower, even 24 hours later, than they were. So maybe we have to really open it up to how potentially dangerous this could be. And I think that brings up a, a really good point because as we're thinking about this and thinking about educating people about some of these strategies, I think we have to be very tactful at what people want to hear and what people don't want to hear. So um, I've conducted studies looking at um, messaging around um, harm reduction strategies and we have to be careful because if people don't believe what we're saying, they're going to totally write off the science. And so the one that I really want to focus on or, or really want to push is uh, vaping rather than smoking, because I think it's a really timely topic, especially with the issues around lung um, disease when it came to tainted cartridges. And we've seen a lot of um, shift, even with tobacco users going back to smoking a cigarette. And I'm, I'm sure that's happening within the cannabis community, switching back to a joint rather than vaping. Uh, but making sure people do understand that that is a harm reduction strategy that ex uh, is a safer way to use. Yeah, definitely. Less carcinogens, less yeah. burning carbon going into your body, the better. Yeah. But then, but then there's that whole thing about sitting around a fire that we've been doing for the last few hundred thousand years. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you break it down, uh, probably everything that we do has a negative side to it. It's just how detrimental that negative side is. Right, exactly, exactly. Um, is there, are there any other programs or anything else that you'd like to, to tell us about right now? You know, it's interesting because when we ask people about these strategies, um, the ones that were endorsed with um, science, and we also asked them about ones that weren't. So we tried to intersperse uh, 
non-evidence-based harm reduction strategies. And so I just wanted to go through some of those. Um, so some things that, although are very much perpetuated in folklore or myths um, that don't have evidence, but maybe they will in the future, maybe they won't, are adding a filter, using a bong or a water pipe, using a concentrate or dab without plant material, Putting one of my favorite is putting ice in a bong to reduce <laughs> potency um, and using a pipe with a longer stem. So um, as, as people are thinking about what strategies are right for them, uh, being able to consume safer without using non-evidence-based practices, I, I think is important. And as academics, we don't always do the best job at making this information accessible. And so really um, having people become more aware of these non-evidence-based practices is, I think, another important educational strategy. Yeah. What, what did you find with the, with the evidence-based versus non-evidence-based when you're asking them? Ah, uh, well, sadly, you know, we, we saw about similar rates of endorsing that it works and using those, um, even those non-evidence-based practice. So actually 43% um, said that they've used a, a, a bong or water pipe, which doesn't surprise me, but 31% said that that was a strategy to reduce harm. And so that really tells me that there's room for improvement. Um, and you know, I've, I've talked to a few people about the putting the ice in the bong because to me that was that was something that was just kind of confusing. I, I'm like, huh, I wonder where that came from. And we actually see 25% of, of our participants saying that they use that. Um, and in talking to people, they say it, it, it may make it feel better on your throat. And maybe it does, um, but it's not actually reducing any harm. Right. Yeah, it doesn't reduce any harm. It's, <laughs> it, it, I, I've heard that it cools the smoke and so it feels smoother. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> Who knows? That's pretty funny though. Yeah. The, uh, the typical cannabis user is not extremely educated on the subject, but they're very enthusiastic about it. Yeah. Sadly, um, I've, I've done a few interviews on this and I think some of um, the folks who were interested in this are sometimes turned off by hearing the term harm reduction and thinking that it implies that cannabis is harmful and, and trying to really get people to understand like harm reduction is a term that we use. And, and this, this term is really helping us to help people use in the most healthful way possible. We're not insinuating that this is bad in any way. And, and in fact, you know, we feel that our research is really pushing the envelope in public health by promoting that we need education, we need to focus on cannabis users. And as more and more people are using, we want them to be educated on this, exactly as you said. Yeah, I think that's fantastic. And that's why I was so drawn to this study and the work that you're doing is because that that was the perspective that I took. It's like, wow, you're not telling people not to do it. You're saying, okay, you're going to do this. Let's do it in the best way possible. And it's so important. And that message it really needs to get out to this community and because people are so afraid of this stigma and the taboo and we have to push so hard to make sure people know that this is a medicine and it's good for you or at least not bad for you or whatever it might be it's like and so these proponents tend to get pretty defensive so good for you for pushing through and making sure that it still happens 
Yeah, and I think this message is important that, you know, in many ways, other research has promoted cannabis as a harm reduction strategy for other substances. So we see people uh, stop using uh, heroin and and other um, substances. And in fact, you know, this is something that's being promoted in some um, programs to help people get off of these other drugs. So, you know, I think as the dialogue and uh, things change, even our terminology changes around this, um, really continuing to highlight and push forward that this is something that we need to study. Um, I often get my my colleagues or or students, especially when I tell them I, I study cannabis, they snicker a little and say, "Oh, okay, right? Um, you study cannabis?" <laughs> no, no, I really do. I think this is a really important population to to think about and uh, move forward with with policy changes and especially in my world, education strategies. Yeah, it's a uh, it's a funny thing. I have a colleague who's the CEO of the American Society of Cannabis Medicine, which is a professional physician and scientist, PhD scientist organization around the education of cannabis. And he likes to joke around and say, "I'm a quality control expert." <laughs> Perhaps I need to find a different title. Yeah. <laughs> Right. There's a yeah. There's a lot of room for for play because that it's still you know we we want to make sure that we talk about it in the the most enlightening possible way and and it's still something that is going to be used recreationally by millions of people for as long as we can possibly think of and and it's great that we can find a medical outlet for it and it can truly help so many different people in so many ways but let's let's reduce the harm and I really think that's fantastic. Exactly. And, you know, I can, I, I hope to envision a world where we're able to not only educate the public, but educate people who are dispensing the product. So uh, working with bud tenders, working with other people in the industry to be able to really talk to people about this and ask those questions of how do you plan to use this strain or how do you plan to consume this? Um, Because even with things like we are seeing in Colorado with the consumption of edibles and the misuse of edibles among uh, new users or maybe novice users, right? This is an area of growth, not an area that we should be, you know, stepping away from or or re-regulating. Perhaps we need more information on labels and we need more education around labels and, and use, but uh, we really have to continue to figure out new strategies versus uh, kind of pulling back and, and moving more towards the realm of abstinence, as, as I'm scared sometimes will, will occur. Yeah, exactly. And um, adverse events. I mean, the education around adverse events, specifically with edibles, is a critical part of the education that needs to come into play. Most definitely. I, I remember... Uh, teaching students in my my course about wait at least 90 minutes before you have more right start start low start slow uh the mantras that that we need to uh teach folks yes it's a lot harder to take away than it is to add um but speaking to what you're saying about the people that are actually dispensing the medicine um 
there's a, an organization that I'm aware of that's really trying to get away from the term bud tender and changing it over to dispensary technician and working with the American Pharmaceutical or American Pharmacist Association to create a program so that, and the idea would be every dispensary out there will have one professional pharmacist essentially that will be the head dispensary technician to answer whatever questions might be coming up that that the dispensary techs at the table won't be able to to use so because at this point they're not bud tenders anymore i mean that was that maybe maybe that worked in the early 2000s but with the amount of extracts and edibles and um inhalers and different things that we're seeing trochies whatever these forms of administration are but they have to know more than just what this flower is that's fantastic to hear and and that's new I, i'm really glad that's occurring and i think that really shows the the movement towards uh, really dismissing some of that stigma and really demonstrating that people who are working uh, with cannabis are highly educated and know so much um, about the the substance. And I think it's important that as we're moving towards that, that it is, you know, like you said, in the curriculum and people who are licensed are doing this. Um, I know some states require it and some states don't, but I'm interested to know, you know, how do you think we move that forward and help uh, to promote that uh, sort of policy? Yeah, I think it's going to have to, at first, go university by university, really, and starting in states, obviously, where they have medical cannabis laws in the books, and approaching the, the heads of departments and saying, hey, we have a curriculum, or whatever, some organization has to come up with a curriculum that can be translated from university to university, and then see if they can get it implemented, or at least an elective, you know, or something. Yeah, I'm really excited. Uh, the University at Buffalo does offer an elective um, on cannabis, and it's actually co-taught by a professor in public health um, who is an author of the National Academies of Science uh, text on uh, cannabis and, and also a pharmacist. So, you know, I think we're moving in that direction, but I'm worried that it'll be at this glacial pace, and we really need to, to step things up as we see this wave of legalization uh, moving towards us. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And there's also a huge push to reschedule on a national level or federal level. And we'll see how things shake out in the next election, but it does seem like it's moving in that direction. Oh, I would love if that were to occur. Um, I teach a course on incarceration and public health that is uh, sadly, one of the topics that we cover and spend the most time on is the war on drugs and really focusing on the failure of the war on drugs and how we need to reshape our criminal justice system and make these changes. But we can't do it until we have some of these wide policy changes. Yes, definitely. Definitely. Wow, this has been a lot of fun. I really appreciate your time and, and uh, what you're doing out there in the world and making sure that this public health space is, is creating the education that we need for the public. So thank you so much. And I have one more question for you. And it's my final question. If there's one change that you could see within the medical cannabis industry, what would you like to see? Mm, that's a big question. Uh... <laughs> 
you know, I say we all have a little uh, piece of the pie, right? We're all continuing to build and shift knowledge. And, and really the area that, that I live in the most is, is educating the next, um, public health professional, right? And and the next uh, student. So, you know, I'd really love to see the focus, um, some at least a little bit of, of focus and money shifted towards education and focusing on some of these campaigns that we see in Colorado and, and other spaces and even looking to Europe for some guidance in this. How can we really get messages out there in PSA form that reduces the stigma and increases the access to um, quality evidence-based information for all? Yeah, that's. Uh, I guess you posed it as a question. I would pose the question to you. How do we begin to create that education platform with this PSA format? Does it come from, from public funds in order to be able to create these messages? I think that's where we have to go. I, I think as states are moving towards uh, legalization and are pushing our, and are collecting this, infer- this money uh, on taxes and, and revenues, that that does need to be invested in some educational campaigns and, and really having a lot of people at the table when you're talking about this, right? Being sensitive to people who may not be as used to some of the terms that we use in academia. Uh, so you know, looking towards the cannabis community for some guidance, but also having this message at multiple levels, right? For people who are new and want to explore cannabis, for people who have been using for years, and also for the professionals in the area, whether that's in medicine, pharmacy, social work, public health, even dentistry, new research is coming out. So, Uh, really at all levels uh, to make sure people are up to date, right, on this information and can access it in an easy to use format. And it's not locked away in an ivory tower behind a paywall. Yeah, that's great. That's great. That would be a fantastic step in the right direction. Let's hope we let's hope we can really move that way. We can dream, right? We could, well, we could, we could do work to make it happen too, right? Most definitely. Yeah, yeah, but it does start with the dream, of course. Yeah, well, thank you so much for your time, Dr. Kruger. Is there any place that you'd like to point the listeners to to see more about your studies and your work? Uh, our work has recently been published in uh, Pedagogy and Health Promotion, Uh, But we hope to continue to make this information more accessible and um, as we move forward, uh, begin to work on some of these campaigns uh, that we've talked about. Uh, So always happy to to talk to anyone about this uh, issue and, and begin to move this forward. Great. Well, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for your work. And it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. That's it. What'd you think? I really enjoyed having this conversation with Dr. Jessica Kruger. It was a lot of fun. It's great to know that there are researchers and professors out there that are doing this kind of surveying and research on the ground, out there at Hashbash year after year, getting creative, trying to understand what cannabis users, what cannabis enthusiasts are thinking, how they approach the medicine, what they're up to. I think it's really cool. 
And if you have any suggestions for me, I really encourage you to reach out. Shoot me an email, Matthew at edgeofcannabismedicine.com. I promise you, I read everything. I will always get back to you, and I'd love to hear from you. Tell me what you feel about the show. Tell me if there are any guests or people that you know that you think would be great for the show. I can't wait to hear. Can't wait to hear from you. And until next time, my friends, please stay healthy and find joy however you can. This Edge of Cannabis Medicine podcast is copyright EM2P2 Inc. 2020. All rights reserved. Podcast use and availability is governed by terms and disclaimers available at edgeofcannabismedicine.com forward slash terms. I'm your host, Matthew Myro, and thank you for listening. <laughs>